Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Daily Objective. So three days after the election, so we had a choice. Should we talk again about the election or how uh, Trump is uh, coming up with conspiracy theories or maybe why we should go and join Alex Jones in the barricades without knowing enough of all this? It's Freedom Friday, so how about we talk about something more value-oriented. And we're going to talk about the Austrian School of Economics. We're going to talk about this school of thought that has been the most consistent and probably the best in terms of economics advocates of a free, advocates of a free economy, of a free market. And to do this, we have with us someone who is not only a man of the market, but also a man of ideas, we have Jonathan Honig. Jonathan, hi. Great to be with you, Nikos. Good afternoon. I, you know, I've, I went to uh, a, a, a lot of Chicago schools, but I can't say I know a lot about the Chicago school or the Austrian school. And you know, even a lot of objectivists don't know a lot about these kind of other uh, particular schools of economics. So I'm looking forward to listening, learning, and participating with you and a lot of our viewers today as well. Excellent. So let's start with some <clears throat> setting the, the stage. So the Austrian school, it starts from the 19th century with figures like Karl Menger, sorry, Karl Menger and Eugene von Bawerk. Their biggest, let's say, achievement is discrediting the economics of Marx. There's this theory that the reason why Marx for the last years of his life did not go on to write more stuff was because he saw the, the so-called marginal revolution, which is taken from the marginal utility theory of the Austrian school. And Marx was like, oh my God, what did I do? Everything has been wrong. Anyway, we don't know if this is exactly the case, but in the beginning, it was a, it was a very, very, very good critique of Marxism. And then it comes back in the 20th century with the, the figure of a giant, with the figure of Ludwig von Mises. And Mises talks about mostly a good critique, a, con a good economic critique, though, not moral, good economic critique of socialism. And then his, uh, his students, I mean, or his student in terms of following his economic steps, Friedrich von Hayek also talks about the impossibility of economic calculation in socialism. So this group of thought is very proud. They said, look, we've made Marx irrelevant. Of course, we objectivists we say, no, no, Marx is still relevant because what is appealing is not his economics, is his morality. But anyway, so good work on this, on dismantling Marxism, also very good work on the theory of crisis, the theory of boom and bust. And here's where I will want to discuss with you a couple of a couple of things. So very solid, good economic work. Actually, Hayek also gets the Nobel in economics. But unfortunately, because the Austrian school is not popular among governments, and it will become clear why, it has been in the shadow of Keynesianism when it's come to its appeal. Now, with the financial crisis of 2008, we see a renewed interest in Austrian economics as a lens through which you can understand the crisis. And th there's, there's another reason I want to, to discuss with you the crisis of 2008. And so that's the one aspect of the Austrian school, trying to explain economic phenomena and trying to explain how capitalism works. 
But there's also another aspect, which is the politics of the Austrian school. So as Jonathan mentioned to me before the show, there's this package deal quite often that the Austrian School of Economics goes together with, for example, anarcho-capitalism. This is mostly through another big figure. And, obje- and objectivism. People consider objectivism to be the so-called Austrian School of Economics as well. And that's not the case. Yeah, a lot of, yeah, a lot of people confuse that. And, but the link with anarcho-capitalism is mostly a, another big figure in the movement, Murray Rothbard. So let's make clear that Ludwig von Mises was not a cap- an anarchist. Hayek was not an anarchist. <laughs> Some people say Hayek was more towards social democracy. He was not really not good in politics. And a lot of people, as you say, also throw in objectivism that it has to do with Austrian school. Now, that's more complicated. Clearly, it has nothing to do with anarchism, objectivism. But we're going to try to untangle all this. So let's start from one of the main tenets of the Austrian School of Economics, which is the subjective theory of value, which is clearly in opposition to the Marx and the objective theory of value. So the Austrians would say, look, people act, people make decisions, and people vote with their legs. So it is impossible to say what are the values, for example, of Jonathan, except by seeing what Jonathan does. So, for example, Jonathan has bought this book and did not book, for example, <laughs> <Many times. laughs> and did not buy something else. Therefore, by this, we can see what is his, let's say, priorities in, in, in terms of economics and in terms of human action. So they start from a, a deductive point of view that human beings act. That's why Mises called his magnum opus human action. And that's where they go from there. And this was the big beef that Ron had with Austrians that this induction, this so-called praxeology is a problem, that they start from, not from what is man, what is a, what is reality, what is epistemology. They start from this deductive a priori approach. Anyway, I've thrown way too much stuff on the table. Pick whatever you want and let's run for with it. Well, um, well, isn't the difference, in, and I'm, I, I've heard a lot of this mentioned, and, you know, as I said, I, I came to this, uh, I came to learning about the Austrian and, and even Chicago school through objectivism, through writers like obviously Ayn Rand. Also, I'll mention this book, Free Market Revolution, for people who say that they're interested in free markets, uh, free market economics. This is a great kind of starter intro- introduction to, to that as well. And obviously, also Ayn Rand, The Capitalism, The Unknown Idea. Yeah. I mean, isn't the, from what I understand it, that definition of a subjectivism um, I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, I, I would look at that and say, it's not that it's subjective, that person, that price, but it's contextual, you know, it's contextual to that individual's judgment of that value relative to their own life, their own situation, their own needs, their own abilities. So, you know, I think that's part of what I, as I understand the schism between the definitions and objectivism and the Austrian school is that the Austrians would say someone acts subjective in, the, they act in a subjective manner and uh, an objectivist would say, no, they're acting objectively because they're acting, if they act rationally, because they're just acting within their own context. Is that right? And the, and the other thing that the Austrians would say is that economics is, is a morally neutral field. So, for example, they say economics is a science. So they say even if you're a Nazi or a Stalinist, 
If you understand economics, you understand them in the proper. You should understand them in the proper way as the Austrians do. Now, what you do with that, they say, is something completely different. So that's why there is this very strong utilitarianism in Mises. So Mises doesn't say, for example, that capitalism is the moral system. Mises says, look, this is how economy works. That's why almost the first quarter of human action is his epistemology, and it's usually. What the Austrians don't like is like, yeah, okay, who cares? Tell us about the economy. But this is what Rand stuck and said, wait, that's the problem. That's the problem. You start from a basis, your praxeological basis, which is not the proper one. So if we could summarize the criticism of objectivism is that, look, Mises, you've created a beautiful skyscraper. You've given an excellent view of capitalism. You are the best economist ever. And yet, where does your skyscraper stand in a very shaky basis? So that's and, that's and, something. And as, as a great example, I'll just say, Nikos, you know, in the 80s, 70s and 80s, one of the biggest miniseries in, in America was uh, uh, Milton Friedman's Free to Choose PBS miniseries. Millions of people saw that. Millions of people learned a lot of these free market lessons. But it didn't stick because like the shaky building, it was built on a, a, a metaphysical and epistemological and, and ethical quicksand, an ethical quicksand, because people said, yeah, I know capitalism produces the goods, but I'm not supposed to be for myself. So we've got to have the welfare state, interventionism and all the rest. Now, let's make something very clear. The Austrian school and the Chicago school are also they're also locking horns, but you're very right. They fall in this way under the same trap that they both make the case for capitalism in different ways. And the Austrians are among the strictest uh, critics of Chicago, but again, based on the fact that it works. And the question is, works based on what? Based on what values? Because here's the thing. I know a lot of people who say, yeah, Austrian is a good, they call it hetero, heterodox school of economics. But who wants a capitalist society, right? So who wants, for example, you to be free to make your choices in the market to maximize your, your benefit or whatever, right? So it's, it's, it reminds me one of these martial arts that were popular in like the 80s, like karate, which you're not allowed, for example, to hit on the head. So it leaves you exposed in your most crucial point of vulnerability, right? So your defense starts with metaphysics, economics, and morality. If you don't build this defense, you're vulnerable. And that's the problem with this otherwise brilliant school. And let me say, let me say something on a personal level. My transition from Marxism happened through the Austrian school because I found in the Austrian schools the questions I couldn't answer in Marxism, for example, the subjective theory of value. For example, why is it that a labor time influences the price of something, sorry, the value of something, if no one wants that something, for example? So it is, and you mentioned something, you mentioned that you were bored with economics. Austrian school is good on that. It's not about tables and all that stuff. It's mostly about principles. And yet it is missing this element of the moral basis of capitalism. Here's another thing. Let's talk about the theory of boom and bust and see if it applies in real life through the eyes of someone experienced in, let's say, the real economy as you are. 
So the Austrians would say this, the, the following about 2008, for example. They would say, when you see a crisis, don't focus on the period of the crisis. Focus on what happened before. So they would say, what you have is the Federal Reserve bringing artificially down the interest rates, giving the false messages to the producers and to the investors. Then they go and do crazy things because they have this distorted view due to the interest rates and the interventions by the government and the Fed. And this is what led to the crisis. So let's stop this and then we'll see how the Austrians would fight the crisis. Do you think this, this uh, viewing of the crisis of 2008 is legit? Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, part of what I, I've always enjoyed about a lot of that Milton Friedman school of, of uh, free market economics education is that one basic principles, ideas, like there is no such thing as a free lunch. And today, people accept that. So they think you can have intervention, for example, Nikos, and you know, there, it isn't felt somewhere. There is no, uh, there is no intervention. There is no uh, ultimate effect. You know, I, we saw it in 2008, as you mentioned, with all that stimulus, not just with the ultra low interest rates, but also with things like the, the CRA, the Community Reinvestment Act that prompted a lot of people to take out a lot of bad loans. But even something now that people might not remember, like, you know, I mean, I'm a, I've been doing this for over 20 years. Like there was a period when um, ethanol stocks were going gangbusters. Ethanol stocks just started booming and booming. And that was as a result of a lot of federal subsidies and government intervention in the ethanol market. Same thing was true with nanotech. You haven't heard that in a long time, but nanotech. And a lot of this boom bust cycle is caused not by the free market, but it's caused by government getting involved. And just in the last two months, look at shares of Kodak. Kodak went from like 10, I don't know, 15 cents to $20 and then back again because of why? Not the free market, because of government promise of a big contract with, of course, a lot of shenanigans going on with Peter Navarro. So whenever you see crazy moves in the market, it's always, and I see erratic that don't make any sense. It's always, in my estimation, because of that government intervention. And in, in 2008, you saw it writ large. So let's talk about now the biggest difference between the Chicago school and the Austrian school, which is the role of the Federal Reserve and the road of the supply of money. So a Chicago person would say, okay, look, we might agree that government intervention is good, but now that we have the crisis, there needs to be the, a particular readjustment of how much money is out there. The Austrian would say no. No, no. The Austrians would even say have different currencies. Don't intervene in the supply of money. Don't even have a federal reserve. Leave the money to adjust itself. We're going to have deflation. Let it be. We're going to have uh, we're going to have people. We're going to have things losing value. Let it be. This is a healthy message that says that all that stuff shouldn't be there in the first place. For example, let me give you let me give an example. Did you open? a fifth restaurant in a small village just because you could, because they were cheap money from the government. Well, if that restaurant falls out of business, that's a good thing because that's not the proper, that was not the rational decision to do based on the signals you got from the market. This had everything to do with the signals that the bureaucrat gave you, but nothing to do with what actually the market wanted. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, I, I am a trader and investor who focuses on price. And uh, the Austrians, I, I know, talk a lot about how invaluable these are as signals, price as signals to us. And that's so true. And, and the truth is, Nikos, as soon as government gets involved, it completely invalidates the price as an effective signal, because you never know, is that price real or is it a re- as a result of government monkeying around? And, and even, for example, you know, the, the unemployment rate in America now, like, well, we know there's been a lot of payments and stimulus and programs, you know, so that's the wonderful things about price. You know, when government steps out of the way, it, they're wonderful signals to allow people to quickly reallocate resources. And, you know, it makes me think of, um, you know, there were a lot of jobs in 2000, for example, that got reallocated after the tech bubble burst. A lot of people were web designers back then, for example. And you know what happened after 2000? If government had had a program to keep web designers employed, like they now have a program to keep airline employees employed, you know, we would have never had this next generation. The web designers became programmers. They learned how to program. They learned how to code. And they, they'd learned something new. They built their skills. So all that government intervention. Now, the thing that objectivism I always have taken away is understanding the correlation and in, in, in the, in the correlation, but how, how it's, it works and it's moral. You know, you said, well, we know what capitalism works, but you really, you know, we know it works, but we're, yes. And as an objectivist, I finally understood why there's no dichotomy of what is practical and what's moral. And uh, capitalism works, sure, but it's also what's right. You know, what's right is that people are free to live their lives unencumbered by violence or threat of force from a government or anyone else. And only capitalism provides that and it happens to bring home the goods too. So, you know, you just have to be okay with that idea of self-interest and so few in our culture are. That's so important what you just said. So let's, let's elaborate a bit. So the Austrian would say capitalism works, therefore it's, it, it's bring, it brings the goods, therefore it's good. We say it's the system where you have the right to pursue your values and your life as you see fit if you don't violate rights, which is why it's good. And by the way, because the moral is the practical, yes. this is also, <laughs> it, you should expect that it's going to bring the goods. Now, again, some people can't see the difference. The difference is small. So that's why a lot of people throw together, yeah, Rothbard, Rwand, Hayek. Now, again, Hayek can give you tools to fight socialists, Rothbard has very good writings, for example, on the crisis or the, depra- or the, or the Great Depression. But let's keep in mind that these are different things. Economics is not the whole, the whole deal. What are you looking well, for? I want to get... Okay, for oh, people man. in the podcast, Jonathan I don't want to upset this right f- now, but five piles I have to of recommend book. John Allison's book, about the financial crisis from 2008 brings you right back and elaborates on, I think, exactly what you're alluding to, uh, 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 Nikos, which is the role that government played in creating the the financial crisis of 2008, which of course is now very conveniently blamed on the evil financiers. And what's so fascinating is now, look, everyone hates the globalist financiers, the leftists back after, and today it's the so-called right, the Republicans. It's the globalist financiers, the bankers. I mean, Trump the other day was saying, 
oh, the Democrats, they get all their money from bankers. You know, it's like it's a slur <laughs> term now. So the bankers always get the blame under every administration. Well, it's the government that's to blame for the 2008 financial crisis. John Allison's book can explain that. And of course, the Ayn Rand Center UK explains it all the time, which is why I hope all of our viewers, all of our listeners take a time not only to subscribe to us on YouTube and on Twitter, everywhere else, but also become a, a dues paying member. You know, we're all about trade for trade, trading value for value. And if, you know, you're not kicking us at least four or five pounds a month, that's a, that's how they talk about the currency in the UK or Nikos, just to let you know, that's their, that's how they refer to money in the UK. You know, you're getting something for nothing. So don't be a freeloader, contribute and be a, become a member today. And this gives me a perfect leeway towards saying the final thing I wanted to say. So when I was reading Marx, one of my favorite lines from all the Marxist anthology was a guy who was saying, don't read Capital as an economic book. Das Kapital is a tool in class struggle. So let me switch this. Austrian economics, you could see it is a tool towards a free society. And by the way, that's why it will never become mainstream. Because Keynesianism is the tool for the status of the world. But that Austrian school is incompatible with their central planning. But, and here's the huge but, economics is not enough. You can know all the Austrian economics in the world and still you're going to lose in the battle of ideas. So here's where we come in. Here's where objectivists or the Anran Center UK, of course, again, me here, I'm not here as an authority in objectivists, I'm here as Nikos, but I mean the movement. So people, do read your Hayek, do read your Mises, but don't forget at the very end of the day, it's about a, a, a complete philosophy which includes morality, which includes are you allowed to live your life or your own values? And that, this is how we go to capitalism. We don't start from capitalism or the market. And this is why you should contribute to the Ayn Rand Center UK. And here's another thing. So if you go to aynrandcenter.co.uk slash membership, you can become a member from only 10 pounds per month. Of course, if it's not a sacrifice for you, they, we have other categories we have the, for example, the reared and metal category. Like, how, how cool is that title? You're going to say, what's your relationship to the Anron Center UK? I'm a reared and metal member, right? So you have, we have other categories. And you're going to get perks out of it. Not only the value that you get from the show, but for example, every Saturday, yours truly is running a discussion groups only for, uh, for all members on the Leonard Peikoff historic and brilliant lectures at the moment we're doing uh, we're doing the one on uh, on his introductory one from the 70s on objectivism but also from next week we have a, a reading group on with the living now with the living is a book that has many objectivists or fans of iron it's not their first book that they've read now you get the chance to read it with us in a group of uh, in a group of friends and it's it's definitely it's definitely it's definitely worth it. So that's that was what I had to say, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, and and now I'll just throw in as a as a special incentive, as I may, with permission of our Lord Razi, for all new subscribers for the month now of November, for new subscribers to the Ayn Rand Center UK, 
I'm going to throw in a special incentive. These are a, a hand silkscreen stock certificate. They were promotional <laughs> items from my company, but they're on very high quality and they're hand silkscreen in four colors from a very famous local uh, uh, silkscreening artist. They have an Ayn Rand quote on them talking about capitalism. And it says that the certificate may be presented for transfer in Ure, which is where Gulch Gulch was supposedly based. Uray, Gulch Culture, any Midas Mulligan Bank branch. So for any new subscribers and, and donors to the Ayn Rand Center this, this month, I will throw this in as, uh, as my incentive. So I hope we can get a bunch of new donors for the Institute right now. Thank you very Thank you. much. Uh, thank you very much, Jonathan. That, that should be a great incentive for people to join the Center. So people haven't got anything else to say. If this didn't persuade you, I can't top that. So... Thank you very much, everyone. This was one of our best weeks in terms of the interaction we got, the views we got. Let's keep it up. You're going to get better and better, uh, let's say, co uh, content. So stick with us. We're going to see you next week. All the best. Have a good weekend.